You are listening to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr., engaging the issues that matter at the intersection of race, culture, and theology. Before I begin, I want to remind each of you listening to head over to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com and order my book, Open Wounds. It is sacred work. As I engage the issues of racial tragedy and trauma, as well as resilience and redemption, by sharing my story, my family's story, black people's story, and yes, America's story. We continue our series on Black History Month. Last week, we began with gospel music's influence on not just the black church, but also on many genres of music that people enjoy all around the world today. But rarely do we talk about hip hop when we engage black history. It is even more rare to discuss hip-hop in theological terms. This week, I want you to see hip-hop in its prophetic essence as the music of the marginalized and downtrodden that does not just entertain, but also speaks truth about social realities. And my guest this week is Dr. Dwight Radcliffe. He's not only a friend, but he's an assistant professor of mission, theology, and culture. And he's the academic dean of the Pinnell Center for Black Church Studies at Fuller Theological Seminary. He's also the pastor of the Message Center in Gardena, California. He is known for his research on hip-hop as it intersects with faith and theology. Listen as we sit at the intersection of hip-hop, theology, and black history. I'm certain you'll be enlightened by this conversation. Dr. Radcliffe, what's going on, brother? Sorry, yes, sir. Sorry, yes, sir, man. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be in the house, bro. Glad you could join me here at intersections. I'm gonna dive right in, man. Um, people already heard the intro that I did. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll let you kind of intro as we as we uh, talk, talk talk through these first few uh, questions. Um, yes, sir. We, we live and study and learn um, black history year round. Um, for you though, um, help us understand why is Black History Month so important? You know, it's important for, yeah. for black folks, it's obvious. But a lot of people yeah. still question, you know, why, why what's the big yeah. deal? You know, we, we've come so far, we've made so much progress. You still hear that. Yeah. Why is it important yeah. for you? Yeah. Um, you know, I think Black History Month, especially here we are in, in 2021, um, is important because it's really a reminder that the, the larger American history, uh, larger American narrative has strategically, systematically, and deliberately, and I want to be specific in my words here, whited out the contributions of particular populations. And I know that um, many of your, your, your listeners are probably not old enough to remember white out, uh, but back way, way back in the day, when you had to type out physical papers <laughs> <laughs> on a typewriter, when you yeah. had to... Yeah. You had to write papers with hand. Uh, if you made a mistake, they sold this little product called Whiteout. And Whiteout could literally, it was this white liquid, and you put it over the black ink, mm -hmm. and it white out. It, it, it gave you the chance to write over again and be able to put down what you intended. And so I'm, I, I'm saying that Black History Month is specifically important because the American uh, narrative has has specifically and systematically whited out the black contribution, um, and it does that with with several 
populations, Black people, African-Americans aren't the only ones, but there is a particularly insidious way that white normativity and racism work in this country. And Blackness is at the very end of the, of the brutality spectrum. And so our Asian-American brothers and sisters remind us all the time that, you know, racism is not just simply a Black-white binary. And yeah. they're correct. And they're yeah. correct. But, but the, I, I, I push back and remind them that it's not a black-white binary, but the treatment of and experiences of black people specifically in America uh, become really the thermometer, the barometer by which race relations and, and reconciliation and all that work can really be judged. And yes. so it's really important you know, it's the whole Black Lives mantra, right? That all lives can't count until Black lives count. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's why it's important, man. It's important for us to know these narratives, to know these contributions, because they are systematically whited out. Wow. Wow. Who, who in Black history, who in our history, historical figures, yeah. um, have influenced you the most? Um, who would you say has had the greatest impact on you? Um, whether it's historically that they're, they're, they're gone past yeah, years, yeah. Frederick Douglass, or they're, they're still alive. Um, Barack yeah. Obama, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. You know, man, um, I have to confess that I didn't come up, we didn't grow up in a very academic household. So I didn't get exposed to a lot of the rich history of, 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 uh, of my people um, until, until it was at Black History Month, right? Especially in the public schools that I grew up in, they, we weren't teaching, they weren't teaching us Marcus Garvey. They weren't teaching us Robert Small. They weren't teaching that. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, my grandfather, Eugene Joseph Radcliffe, bless his soul, man. Um, he was that cat to me that I looked to that, that really embodied being a black man um, in the way that he existed in the world, the way that I saw him do stuff. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but I would, you know, I didn't know what he was at the time. He was a union rep for United Auto Workers Union back in the day. And I just know that everywhere we went, people were constantly coming up to him saying, man, thank you for your grand, thank you for your granddad, you love your granddad. And I didn't know that my grandfather had been in many cases, singularly instrumental and helping cats get their jobs back or not get fired. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just hearing that about him, I think then as a, as a, as a teenager, I think MLK and, and I know these probably don't fit well together in this sentence, but MLK and Spike Lee um, mm -hmm. really became instrumental for me. And it wasn't, I wasn't yet old enough. I wasn't yet read enough to understand the nuances of, of MLK, to understand his theology. Um, and I wasn't, yet old enough to catch all of the, all of the shade Spike was throwing. Uh, but it was for me, it wasn't the particulars of what they were doing. It's the fact that they were doing, if that makes sense. It's the fact that I could see them doing something that the world was taking notice of. Um, and then later on, I mean, now in life, you know, um, I think listening to the words and reading the words of James Baldwin is important. I think every person, uh, if you are Christian, and if you black, and if you a black Christian, especially if you if you leave this earth and have not read um, Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited, yeah. I think you've done you've done yourself a disservice. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, that's like fundamental for me. Mm-hmm. I can start rambling off books now, but you know, go ahead. They, I hope somebody's uh, take got the the pen and pad taking notes. Yeah, I think um, Kelly Douglas is the Black Christ. Yeah, I think that was really really empowering. That was really powerful for me. Um, I think Cone's work overall is is great, but I wasn't ready yet when I first got exposed to Cone to deal with the depth of Cone, and so I think his his book Risks of Faith, um, which is kind of a compilation of some of his essays and pieces of his work that was much easier for me to digest um and kind of get a introduction to 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 cone um to keep it a buck ralph watkins is uh hip-hop redemption was important for me because because it showed me that i didn't have to i didn't have to abandon god to embrace hip-hop um then cone's work of spirituals and the blues helped me there uh, Robert Hood writes a book, Must God Remain Greek? And mm. that be that that joint, oh, that joint, that joint still kicks me. He says that uh that as long as we allow, and I'm paraphrasing, but as long as we allow theology, and when we say theology, I mean like talking about God, thinking about God, as long as we allow it to be captive and captivated by Greco-Roman civilization and Greco-Roman philosophy, then uh, then there's three classes of Christians, three classes of believers. There are the homies. And those are people who grew up with a Greco-Roman, Western, Northern European worldview mm-hmm. um, that are right at home with Plato and Aristotle. Uh, so those are the homies. Mm-hmm. Then you have the adopted homies. Uh, those of us that that it's not our native way of thinking about the world. It's not our indigenous worldview, but we've learned it. Mm-hmm. Um so, so we're the adopted homies. And then you have the homeless, those people who, who cannot abide by, who cannot uh, bow, bow to a Greco-Roman worldview. And they talk about God and think about God in, in ways that we would, we would say now um, in our academically informed way that they are more indigenous to the global South. And so they've become the homeless mm. to modern theology because they don't come at it from a, from a, a Roman Western American European worldview. So, I mean, that, that piece messes with me. I, I still talk about that in my, in my theology of mission class. Every time I get, I'm introducing him. Yeah. 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 So, so how'd you make that transition? Cause you said you didn't grow up being exposed um, in terms of academically or, or to that. Yes, sir. So how'd you make yes, the sir. transition? Cause you, you, you sit here now, you know, you're, you're Dr. Dwight Ratcliffe. Um, and you're yeah. unpacking that stuff and you're setting this, this, the tone for the next generation to be able to say, okay, I don't yeah. have to abandon God to, 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 to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so how did you make yeah. that transition? And is there anybody other than what you listed, is anyone that kind of influenced you to, to, to make that transition? Yeah. I, I thank God for the power of the, of the edit of the edit. And, uh, you know, the, the cutting from room floor. So as much of this as you need to cut, uh, you can. But let me, I guess it's probably important for me to give just a little background um, to really understand how wild it is for me to be sitting here, you know, as the quote unquote academic dean, um, you know, uh, of the Pinnell Center of Black Church Studies at Fuller Seminary. How wild it is for me to be somebody who teaches and embraces hip hop culture. So um, growing up, I was born in 74. So I grew up, um, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, I, my wife, I mean, my mom at the time was not um, super religious. We went to church a little bit, you know, but we didn't we didn't really kick it deep. We were 
we went to the Baptist church and then my mom was going through her own battles. And so she kind of fell away from church and I stopped going. So it wasn't until I was about 13 that I started coming back to the church, really felt a call from God. Uh, the, the joke is that literally uh, I was asleep in my room in my bunk bed one day and I literally felt God shake the bunk bed and say, get up and go to church. Like legit, like scared the heck out of me. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that was kind of my introduction to as a young adult, really wanting to be in relationship with God. Um, got involved with the Baptist church and then the charismatic Baptist church. And then that kind of springboarded me into the Pentecostal holiness kind of background. And so I uh, bought into what everybody else was telling me, man, that, you know, you want to be holy. You can't be listening to all that bippity boppity, bippity boppity. <laughs> you can't, you ain't no room for Jesus and Tupac. You yeah, got it. Yeah, one of yeah. them, one, one of them got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what they told me. I think, I think all of us heard that back in the eighties. Yeah, man. And they told you, you can't serve God and mammon. Now I didn't know back then what the heck mammon was. Uh, you know, I could exegete that now and tell them that they were wrong, but they told me that Mammon was was Tupac, it was Biggie, it was uh, you know, it was Will Smith, it was all you gotta let all that go. And so, man, I did. Um, burned all my CDs, you know, I went through the whole thing, you know, repented. I was like, oh man, I was on fire for Jesus, for the Lord. Um uh, but something just wasn't right. I felt like uh, like they said, they used to talk about Luther Vandross's curl, you know, in the front. <laughs> it just wasn't <laughs> it wasn't quite it didn't quite curl all the way over. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. It just didn't. I didn't have the language. I didn't have the understanding, you know, the tools to to articulate it. But it just didn't seem right. It seemed like it seemed like I was killing me, um, and not not in the deep, spent, you know, sense of, of crucifying myself. But I felt like there was a part of my identity that was that was dying in order to to live this understanding of Christianity. And um, started pastoring church years later and just really understood that God wanted more from, from me and um, that I was going to have to, if I was going to pastor in these kind of days and times, I was going to have to do better um, with my understanding of the word of God. So ended up at Fuller, ended up with, uh, ended up sitting under a man that I love dearly, Dr. Ralph Watkins. I, 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 I honor him. I bless him. I, I pour my libations out to that cat. I love him dearly. Um, and really started hearing his testimony and started listening to him unpack the black music tradition. And that started me on reading Cone, um, Cone's The Spirituals and the Blues and reading um, Theomusicology, John Michael Spencer and reading um, deeply other black voices who loved God deeply, but who were culturally informed and aware. And, um, you know, it just got me to a place, man, where I, I understood that God was bigger than the designation of gospel music, that God was bigger than my denomination, than my, my version of holiness, um, and really just started um, on this journey, man, to, to where I am. And that was really where I started. It was crazy because as a kid, I was always in gifted classes, you know, but, but my teachers would always say he's smart as a whip, but he won't apply himself. And they were right. I was lazy. Um, <laughs> man, I, I say this um, embarrassingly, man. It took me almost 10 years to do a two-year degree. So, mm. you know, 
I graduated high school in 92. My AA degree is is literally, I think it's dated like 2000 something. So, I mean, it's to be from there, man, I just knew that that God was, God's hand was on my life. And that was really what God used to really unlock the door of where my education made sense. And once I understood my education made sense, I just started soaking up everything that I could, reading everything that I could, um, and just being exposed to more than what, you know, we didn't have the language of filter bubbles back then, but, you know, culturally we can exist in our own little filter bubbles. Yeah. I go to my church, I go to my denomination, I only deal with people in my, my whatever, and so I don't get theologically pollinated by anything other than what I think. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I had a similar experience with um, Dr. Watkins. Um, He just he just rocked everything. Yes, sir. What I thought I understood theologically. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) And yes, sir. See, I I grew up AME. Right. I grew up in black church. So I just assume I knew black theology. Exactly. Because I've, I've heard the sermons, I've lived it, I know the experience, but I didn't know the theology. Yeah. I took intro to, to black theology. Bruh. You talk about free God. Yes, sir. From this tiny box that we put God in. And that, that kind of changed the trajectory of, of my journey. Uh, you said something else about burning the CDs. I ain't. I never got that far. Um. <laughs> Cause, cause you were AME, that's why. AME, <laughs> and I joke, man. But real talk, man. I now in my adult years, I hate that I didn't grow up AME. I wish oh, really? to God, I think that if I'd have grown up AME, dude, I'd probably be the next Malcolm X. Like I, <laughs> I, I do, man. I, I probably would have ended up going to an HBCU. I probably would have yeah. been education would have, you know, in the Pentecostal circles. Unfortunately, even to this day, we really don't push. Mm. education we don't push cultural understanding and knowledge as much it's yeah it's some glad morning when this life is over yeah 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 i i I never a matter of fact i still got my cds sitting around here somewhere maybe in my storage (laughs) a whole a whole man i got like probably 100 cds and i could never bring myself to burn them because i said one day i'm gonna circle back and and i'm gonna start playing these cds you know you know i'll come back to this in just a second but is there anybody is there anybody that um, is underappreciated and doesn't get the notoriety in our culture that you think yeah. should get, people should know. We, we know Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, yeah. Malcolm yeah. X. We, we, yeah. Everyone knows those names. But who, yeah. who's someone that should get more notoriety? You know? Yeah, that's a good one, man. Um, I think uh, in in chapel a few weeks ago, um, in chapel a few weeks ago, Reverend Doctor Otis Moss III told the the story of Robert Smalls. I think that that's a narrative that doesn't get told enough. Um, and this this quote unquote dumb ignorant slave learned Confederate military codes, um, stole a Confederate ship. Mm-hmm. sailed himself sailed his family to i mean mm-hmm. like yeah like we don't we don't talk enough about that those 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 characters um so i think a person like robert smalls doesn't get enough but i go back to to to, to the book that i would push man that howard thurman we don't we don't talk a lot about howard thurman yeah you don't hear yeah i mean 
I've I've been to conferences. I've been to to you name the, the the conferences. I've been to the conferences. I I teach the classes. I've been in the classes. I've sat in the classes. We don't talk a lot about about how we're thermic. And I think that the the the, the fundamental blessing that Jesus and the disinherited is. You you as somebody who's who studied the life of, of King, you know King carried that copy with him. Exactly. That's that that's a joint he carried with him everywhere he went. Yeah. Um and I think for me, once I heard that about King, it really forced me to to really dig in and read it for myself. And I have at, at courses and classes where I've been adjunct professor, I've made students read that book. Exactly. Um, because I think I think Howard was way ahead of his time. I think if he wrote that, if he was alive today and wrote that right now, it'd be a bestseller. It'd be relevant, yeah. 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 You talk about you know who we don't talk about enough and, and those names. Another name that comes to mind for me is um, Henry Box Brown. He, hmm. he mailed himself to freedom. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. You know. Yes, sir. Th- there's another woman. Um, she was enslaved at the time. She hid in the cupboard. She hid somewhere in in the house, mm. in the master's house for, for either months or years. Whoa. I think. Whoa. And, and, and she got she had help. Someone was feeding her, but they thought she had escaped and she was in the house. She had hidden herself until wow. time. Like, some time had passed and she yeah. could, she she was free. Like that, that's the innovation. You know, I was talking to somebody yes, recently sir. about the innovation in September last week. We were talking about the innovation, the improvisational nature of being black. Yes, sir. That you have to be. Yes, sir. To survive, let alone yes, thrive, but to survive, you have to be, you have to have that improvisational skills and, and, and creativity um, to yes. survive in this, in this culture. Yes. And that brings me to your field, what I want to talk about today is hip hop. You talk yes, about sir. being improvisational. You talk about creativity and, yes, and, 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 and an art form, a genre that really has taken over the world. Yes, sir. Came Literally out of, the came out of the, out of the ghetto. Yes, sir. Right? The hood, the hood. Came out of, the, out of pain, suffering. Mm-hmm. Yes, it wasn't, when it wasn't commercialized. Yes, sir. You know, and, and yes, we don't talk. We don't, we don't, yeah, yeah. And we don't talk enough about hip hop and what's happening today as part of black history. Yeah. Uh, You know, we don't talk about the athletes today. We don't talk about, we always go way back. So I wanted, I wanted those who are listening to understand the role of hip hop in our culture, in our history. Um, You studied and you've written on, on the intersection of hip hop um, and and theology, hip hop culture and theology. Um, Help us understand why and how hip hop is so important to black history. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Um, I think the first thing that I would say is that when you look at, if you understand the spirituals, if you understand the blues, if you understand jazz, then you have to understand that the next iteration of the black music tradition is hip hop. Uh, that hip hop is is part of the black music tradition um, in America, and so that alone makes it black history. Uh, that that alone. If we don't talk about anything else, the fact that this is another genre of music, another 
another musical way that black, and when I say black, let me be very clear. I don't mean, I don't mean solely what we classify as 18th generation black African-American. When I say black in America, I'm encompassing my first and second and third generation Jamaican brothers and sisters, my first and second and third African Latinas, uh, you know, because when you talk about hip hop, you can't talk about hip hop without talking about Jamaicans, without talking about Cubans, without talking about Puerto Ricans. Yeah. You, you, you can't do it. So when I say black, I'm encompassing the entire diasporic um, expression in America. Uh, so to talk about the fact that black people, that my people, ex nihilo, created again, yet again. Yeah. <laughs> and another one, DJ Khaled, <laughs> right? Yeah created another musical expression or genre to yet again describe their plight, their, their lived experience, that the spirituals, the blues, jazz, we could even throw hit rock and roll in there if we really wanted yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and hip hop, that, that we have to understand. And, and I think part of the reason why we don't do it is why we shy away from it is because of our sometimes incessant need to be, um, to be accepted by a uh, larger predominant, uh, dominant, dominant culture. We tend to shy away from our musical, our musicality because it's not seen as educated. It's not seen as, as high culture and high brow enough. But uh, we are as African descended peoples, we are musical people. It is what it is. Uh, we, are, we are descended from musical people. We, we, we express our life in music, we music carries emotion with us. It's not the same as in predominantly European Greco-Roman culture where music is just a trade or a skill or something that's used to express high culture. Music is part of everyday life. Yeah. And because music is part of our everyday lived reality, inside of music, music carries our thoughts, our emotions, mm -hmm. our experience, our narratives. And so this is why you cannot talk about black history without talking also about the music that black people have made. Now, that's just that's just the cultural historical aspect of it. Now, if you flip over and realize that if I took you right now and dropped you anywhere in the globe, if I dropped you in South Korea, in Japan, in Kenya, in Nigeria, in Brazil, in Cuba, that there are hip hop communities in everywhere. all of those places, everywhere. So now I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on your podcast. If not, you can beat you can you can bleep me out. But then let's even talk about how the Louvre Museum has offered tours based on Jay Z and Beyonce's Ape Shit video. Let's talk about Kendrick's Pulitzer. Mm. I mean, so let's talk about Chance winning a Grammy without a record label. I mean, let's. If we just want to, we could talk about the history because we do make history. We yeah. do break records. Let's yeah. be clear. Yeah. But but just understanding that that music is part of our truth and part of our lived experience, then necessarily means if we're gonna talk about Black history, we have to also talk about our music. Man, I'm I'm getting so much from what you just shared. To talk about hip hop, to talk about Black culture. And to talk about the spirituals. Yeah. To leave out hip hop is the equivalent of not talking about us when we talk about our ancestors. Or exactly. the opposite. To, to only talk about hip hop apart from jazz, 
blues and mm -hmm. the spirituals is like mm -hmm. to try to understand us without yes. understanding civil rights movement, Jim Crow era, our slave yeah. ancestors who were enslaved. You just can't do yeah. it. Black history all of a sudden stopped in 1972. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it just stopped. No yeah. more black history after after 72. Yeah, yeah. Take us on a, on a journey, a, a hip hop journey. I, I've, heard, I've heard you say in a presentation, a, a lecture once, I grew up with hip hop. Oh, man. And, and I, I and I told you afterwards, I said, I grew up, I was born a month after hip hop. Yes. September sir. 73. So come on, man. Right? August, August. I'm born in August. So yeah. I was a year late. So <laughs> take us on a little, little journey, a little historical journey, a little historical survey um, yeah. to help us get to the roots of, of, of hip hop. Yeah. I think, man, the, that, that one of the things that surprises me is how many people identify with hip hop culture and yet know nothing about it other than Drake. Um, you know, they, they, they know Drake and they know Lil Uzi then got a diamond implanted in his forehead. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> and I'm like, my people are perished. They, they just perished. <laughs> um, so to, to understand hip hop, we have to, we have to understand that, and this is where Cone's work is important, that, that Cone says that the spirituals and the blues both flow from the same fountain, that they both flow from the fountain of, of the black experience and a yearning for God, that that's the root, that's the fountain they flow out of. So now understanding that, let's now look historically at, at New York in, in the 60s in the 70s. Um, LA is not the only place, Chicago, Detroit are not the only place having riots and, and stuff. Harlem is having riots. Yeah. Um, there are parts of the Bronx, um, the, the, the newspapers literally said that the Bronx was burning. And for those of you who are listening to this, if you just go to Google and search the Bronx is burning, like you'll see images of city blocks that look like parts of war-torn Germany yeah. or, or parts of what we might, might assume is Afghanistan. Um, there you would have a city block and on a city block, there would be three quarters of one building standing. There would be an entire city block reduced to ashes and rubble. And it looked like bombs. It looked like the, the city had been bombed. If you understand the scandal of the mayor's office and the police department and the mafia at this time, you have to understand that what was happening was that many uh, building owners, uh, landowners, uh, because of rent control and other stuff, they were making more money on the insurance claims for their burnt down property than they were on rent. And so you had landlords having their own buildings burned down. You had police not wanting to go into certain areas. You had a fire department who would wait until a building burned completely down before they put the fire out. So you had these communities in the Bronx, and it wasn't just the Bronx, it's happening all over the country, right? But, but specifically, we're talking about hip hop. So you had uh, gang wars, you had all these things happening in our urban centers. And hip hop actually began as, as escape. It was, a, it was an opportunity for those who could dance or those who, who could DJ and those who, who were artists. Artists, yeah. Uh, we don't, yeah, we don't talk enough about the artistic element of, of hip hop as one of the elements of hip hop culture. That um, you had these people who 
who began to to come together to literally throw parties, man. You had people that would go up to a street light at the at the public park and would, as we would say today, would hack into the street pole and 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 hotwire and rig they they sound system and go out to the park to the park and have have these parties. DJ Coolhart, the first official quote unquote hip hop party on Sedgwick Avenue, man. It was yeah. it was a house party. It was, a, it was nothing but a glorified rent party. Yeah. Um, and that's really where hip hop culture starts. So it was really the DJ, uh, you know, finding the break beats in the song, you know. Um, and, and looping that around, and you got people like Cool Herc that was doing it. You got Grandmaster Flash that you know developed an entire techno symbol. And I guess what I'm trying to interweave into my historical narrative here is the is the ingenuity, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the creativity piece that you talked about. Mm -hmm. um, but as this goes, man, then you then you have the MC comes later, and the MC is just there to kind of pump up the crowd because they are there to hear the DJ, they are there to dance. They are there so that the, the dancers, the B-boys and the B-girls could battle. Um, you know, that's why they were there. Um, and so you get all these elements, the street entrepreneurialism, uh, all these things begin to come together. And, and the culture really becomes, it, it's, it's an adaptation of disco. Disco was for wealthy white folk, folk doing cocaine. Hip hop was for poor folk in the hood that couldn't get, that didn't have suits to wear to disco clubs. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. So it's the whole cultural piece. As it begins to grow, as Sylvia and the rest of them, Robinson and the rest of them start making money off of it, it begins to change. And when I say I grew up with hip hop, I mean somebody like you and me, we were born at the same time hip hop was born. And so you got to go to like Common's uh, video, Erica Badu's yeah, yeah, uh, video, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Where, you know, Common said, I used to love her. And, he, and the whole song is a narrative of the growing of age, exactly. the coming of age of hip hop. Exactly. Erica Badu, love of my life, right? Same thing. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. And so you and I, we literally were growing up simultaneously as hip hop yeah. was also growing up. Yeah. So it was a childhood friend. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean when I say that yeah, I grew up with it, that we grew up with it. As I'm, as I'm listening to you, um, hip hop, is the new life yeah. that was born out of the death and darkness of yes, the era. Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Before we transition to uh, the theological implications of it, who's your favorite MC? Oh, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Uh, you know, it, it, you know it's, it's, hard, oh. it's hard to pick one. It's hard to pick one. Um, oh. I'm a, let, me, let, me, let me confess something. Go ahead. So I, I love do. old school hip hop. Yes. Sir. I'm not Same. really big on hip hop in the last 10, 15 Same. years. Same. You give me 80s and, and especially in the 90s when I was in college. Yes, sir. Yes, that's sir. me all day. Yes, but I'm I'm also I'm really a R and B head. Yeah, I agree. You know, I'm yeah. really an R and B head. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. So it's hard for and it's hard to pick one. I know it's hard to pick one. Who's your favorite MC and why? Or or give me top three. Give me top three. Phil, man, okay, because <laughs> you're a basketball dude, so you know, so you gonna understand what I'm saying. That's like asking me who's my favorite basketball player of all time. Yes, yes, right? yes. And, and the and the problem is you can't compare it. You can't compare Kareem with Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. You you can't. I don't care who who says. I don't care if you're listening right now. You say you can't. You can't. They they're two completely different types of players. So exactly. I have MCs. That I love for different reasons. Okay. But if you just 
if you just pin me down and said, if I own, if I could only pick one, um, I'm gonna go with Pac. Okay. And I'm gonna go with Pac, probably not for the reason why everybody else does. I don't think that Pac was. I think that there are some people who use imagery much better than Pac. Um, I really think that 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 Big Sean uses like imagery a little bit better in in, in many ways. Um, it's not his pace and his cadence because if you're talking about just pace and cadence, you gotta look at M. You gotta look at Eminem. Okay? can just rattle off a million words a minute. Um, if you're looking at just like a groove, you know, I got to look at like Snoop and Biggie, like they, their flow was just like, it's hypnotic, um, you know, but if you're talking about just bangers, it's, I mean, so I got people, if you're talking about socially conscious, public enemy, you know, but, but the reason that I say pop, man, is because number one for me, if you go back and listen to Tupacalypse Now, if you listen to it, to me, Tupac is the Marvin Gaye mm. of hip hop. Mm. Mm. He is the Marvin Gaye. If you if you put on what's going on right now, if you put on Mercy Mercy Me yeah. right now, yeah, yeah, Marvin Marvin is talking about oil spills. He's talking about Afghanistan. He's talking. He is in a prophetic way, man. That's good. Talking about stuff we're still dealing with, and so for me, Pac is timeless. If you listen to Tupacalypse now, if you listen to those cuts there, and then he comes back, you know, 15 years later, 10 years later, whatever it was, and and talks about, you know, in, uh, uh, I, I think it was, I wonder if Heaven Got a Ghetto, um, mm-hmm. I think he talked about where I, I I predicted this in Tupacalypse. And he's talking about, you know, Bush. He's talking about Bush can't stop the hit. I predicted this in Tupacalypse. Like, so many of the things he's talking about, like Latasha Harlins, like, he didn't call her name, but he talked about it. Mm. Um, and so for me, being a, you know, being an older hip hop head, being a lover of the of the emerging culture that that was really about speaking truth to power, being someone who really connects hip hop to even the tradition of black preaching, the prophetic nature of it. Um, for me, in that sense, um, I have to say Pac. Um, and because yeah. he was so, so central. Um, to the arguments against, the arguments for. He was such a polarizing yeah. and complicated figure. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's an evolution to Pac. Like like we talk in, in seminary, there's an evolution to Paul. Mm-hmm. There, there's an evolution to mm-hmm. Pac. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know. Yeah, you can't argue, you can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. Um, yeah. My, my, my number one. You're wrong for that question. Though. You're wrong for that question. <laughs> <laughs> my number one. If I had to be pinned down, if I had to pin myself down, is Rakim. Yes, sir. For three, yes, for sir. Three, three of the reasons you named, he wasn't as polarizing and as central as as Pac, but flow. Yes, sir. I Con- give you consciousness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And my yes, sir. my number and one, my lyrics, my number one. <laughs> yes, lyrics. sir. I've been a, I've been a, a, a Kim fan, Rakim fan. Yes, sir. Since day one, man. But I'm also yes, a Heavy sir. D fan. I'm also a Lauren Lauren Hill. Miseducation is my favorite. Oh God, see that's what I'm saying, time. man. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm a, I'm a Common fan. Love Common. Yeah. Uh, Talib Kweli. Yeah. Yes, sir. Try. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, sir. It's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Dude, I had now look for my my theology and hip hop culture class. I have to put together a playlist because I refuse to talk hip hop with students that ain't heard it. So, <laughs> I put together a playlist 
and every and at the end of the class, I asked, you know, for feedback on the class. And everybody's like, you didn't include this one. You didn't include. I'm like, look, this was not this was not a list of my favorite MCs. This was an exposure to the culture because yeah. it's hard, man. There's so many great people that have done it. Um, some of them have gone on. Rest in peace. We my wife and I, we ran into Heavy D, man, just before he died. That's, um, that's my dude. That's, that, that's my guy. Yeah, that's Dwight. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love him, man. There's there was something about his his charisma, yeah. his flow. I mean, never mind. We're gonna get sidetracked. Yeah. I'm sorry. Whatever yeah. what's, what's your question, man? What's your question? <laughs> so when when you when you talk about Pac, the first yeah. word that comes to mind for me, especially with polarizing, controversial, um the, yeah. the, the argument for and against is yeah. prophetic. The prophetic, yes, the prophetic nature of the of the of the music. Yes, sir. Right? Yes, sir. Um, yeah. I go back to what you said earlier when you learned that you didn't have to abandon God to to be to enjoy mm. to to stay immersed in yeah hip hop culture. Yeah, your 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 childhood friend. You didn't have to yes, leave sir. your childhood friend because you were I didn't going have to, to lead seminary. a homie. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have to lead a homie. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you connect? How do you further connect? Because you already would, you were already doing that when you were answering it. How do you connect hip hop to God talk? Um, yeah. How do we understand the divine through this art form? Okay, that's great stuff. I think, and, and I gotta back away from it before we before we jump right into it. Let's let's go thirty thousand views first. Okay. Um, I think the first thing we have to do is, and one of my my academic mentors, my PhD advisor, Dr. Johnny Ramirez Johnson, would be so so elated that I'm about to throw this word out there. We have to even look at the epistemology, right? The epistemological foundations as to why we have to, why we're even doing this work of telling people that they have to connect theology and hip hop. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to first recognize that culturally and religiously, there is a disconnect that they don't mesh because somebody somewhere told us they don't. Mm -hmm. And so I wanna deconstruct the don't first. Um, the fallacy in our modern society, in our church and the academy, is or the, the 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 modern fallacy in our culture is that the church and the academy own theology. Mm. That talk of God, thinking about God, discourse about God, is owned by the church and by the academy. That's the first lie. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked in the county jails. Uh, I worked a deputy sheriff for, for a number of years. And there's always some little preacher in the cell somewhere, um, somewhere in the corner, a little jailhouse preacher, ain't went to school, ain't went to Syrian, but, but he know everything about God. He's trying to break everybody off and teach them. Man, the biggest lie, we, one of the biggest lies we've been sold and that we bought is that the church owns conversation about God. But, but then at the same time, we have the nerve to declare God is omnipresent. Both of these things cannot be can cannot be this cannot be uh, cannot be cannot exist at the same time. Mm-hmm. If God is omnipresent, then there are people outside of the church experiencing God, talking about God, thinking about God, and engaging God. So that 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 lie was sold to us because it was wrapped up in modern Christianity, and modern Christianity came to us, and, I, and I'm going back to my soapbox, came to us wrapped up in the garments of Greco-Roman philosophical culture. And Greco-Roman Plato and Socrates, they told us that 
you know, that whole allegory of the cave that, you know, things that can be seen and touched are not real. They're temporary. And the spirit is is invisible. Yeah. That's Greco Roman philosophy. That's Mm -hmm. not Bible, Mm -hmm. nor is it global culture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The, The majority of the world lives in or is descended from the global south. In the global south, in places like uh, countries on the continent of Africa, in India, in parts of Asia, that's not the, that's not true. It's not true that there's this easy separation between spirit and and natural. Um, that's yeah. that's a, that's a lie. Yeah. And so, so for people like me and you, for our young listeners, that I don't know if they're gonna get it, but the Western European Greco-Roman culture has told us that that if you imagine you were in in one room in your house and there's a door to go to another room in your house. Greco-Roman philosophy has told us that the barrier between the two rooms is a locked door. And to get the key, you the key is basically the right theological liturgy. It's the right orthodoxy. It's the right thinking about God. It's the right words about God. And if you have those things, not everybody has it, but if you have those things, then you can insert the key into this door and you can you can magically someday pass over into that other room. Well, our ancestors would not have constructed the room that way. Our ancestors would say, yes, there are two different rooms, but if you're not a child of the 70s, you don't get this. But the room is not separated by a door. It's separated by beads hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Come on, man. We, yeah, we don't want to bring them back, though. Yeah, I'm not bringing them back. But if, <laughs> if, you, if you wasn't a child of the '70s, early early '80s, you don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. But 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 mom and them used to have them beads hanging up in the doorway, and what the beads did was they gave us visually, and and conceptually, a separation between the rooms. But if you talk your voice is going to be heard in the other room. Exactly. If you shine a light, that light is going to be seen in the other room. And so for our ancestors, this, this separation is more of a permeable layer. The ancestors play a, a vibrant part in our life. They, they talk to us. They, they, they inform us. They are this great cloud of witnesses. They, they are the Abraham, Isaacs, and Jacobs that we call out throughout the Old Testament. And so I think for me, it was important for me to read Cone and to read uh, Spencer and, and his work in theomusicology because he looks at Augustine's City of God and he says instead of this binary of sacred and secular, he he evokes a trinary that it's it's sacred, secular, and profane. And so, secular is just the actual lived world. We all live in the secular world. We live in the created world. Mm-hmm. Now, in this created world. There are overlapping circles because there are certain things in our world that are sacred, certain things that we have hollowed out, that we have that we have sanctified, that we have set apart for, for the worship and the use of God, certain things that God has called holy. Then there are other things that are just profane. But then there's some stuff that's just secular. It's not sacred. It's not profane. It's not on its way to hell. And yeah. it doesn't need to be preached on Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but But it's not. And so we bought into this lie that the choices, the two buckets you have are sacred and secular. So everything that don't have a cross on it and don't name Jesus is automatically secular and everything that is secular is necessarily profane and on its way to hell in the handbasket. Yes. So so for me, hearing Cone call the blues um, uh, spiritual seculars, 
that that he combines this language, right? And then he goes on to say, and I didn't say this, Cone said it, that that rap, that hip hop culture was a child of the blues. Mm. And that if, and he says that that modern gospel music would be the next iteration of the spirituals and, and hip hop would be the next iteration of the blues. Mm. And he said that the spirituals and the blues were sisters that came from the same fountain. Now, if you had, you had September last time now, yeah. if, if, yeah. if, if spirituals and blues are sisters, then hip hop and gospel are first cousins. Exactly. Exactly. Come on. Now. Exactly. So for <laughs> me, that, that connection, man, come on, that connection between theology and hip hop is really me acknowledging that I'm no longer ascribed to a false binary that that I don't that I don't live by and that's not, actually just not real. It doesn't express my life. Now, now that I've opened that up, if I if I recognize that God is omnipresent, if I recognize that that it's bigger than just sacred and secular, then God must necessarily be moving in all these places. Mm-hmm. And so um, connecting, connecting that and hearing what God has to say um, through these artists, man, is really, it's not a matter of me sanctifying Tupac. And, and that's the, that's, that's, that's the fear. If we could just keep it a buck, mm-hmm. that's the fear. People mm-hmm. are thinking mm-hmm. that I'm saying, you know, oh, well, Tupac is a saint and Tupac, yeah. you know, you know, you need to preach from Romans and Tupac. That's, yeah. that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Tupac was thinking about God and talking about God and struggling with what it meant to, to, to acknowledge God, just like we are. Yeah. Yeah. He, he went about it differently. He said it differently. I'm not saying that he needs to be preached on Sunday morning. I am saying this though, that culturally we've allowed European descendants to tell us that in order for us to come to Jesus, we have to lose everything that's attached to our blackness in yeah. order to come to Jesus. But they don't. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have to remove or be released from their cultural history to come to Jesus. It's the same argument in the in the New Testament that we wanted they wanted the Gentiles to become Jews in order to follow Jesus. Yeah. And that and that's not the case. And so man for me it was really it was eye-opening to 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 be challenged by Watkins to to read Cone, to read Spencer, to read Douglas, to read Thurman, um, and to understand that God is God cares about all of creation, not just the church, and that there are people outside of the church who are talking about God and who are thinking about God um, just as as strongly as we are. And what does it mean to validate their voice as human beings? groaning after God. I think if we start there, I think that's the on-ramp to somebody who's hesitant to put hip-hop and theology in the same sentence. If we start there, I think that's 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 the on-ramp. So so what I'm hearing you say, this is just my my kind of yeah, interpretation a bit. I mean I got so much <laughs> so much you said. But I I did a uh I had a a chapel with UCLA um, women's basketball team last night and trying to help them understand the gospel um, outside of that 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 binary or that one way that box we talk about yeah that has been presented to us in yeah and, and the young lady asked well how do we how do we get past that how do we move forward and so what I'm hearing you say is rather than trying to change hip-hop and make 
especially when we, we try to call it Christian hip hop, Christian rapper. Rather than doing that, there's a dismantling, a, 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 de a deconstruction that, yes, that is necessary so that you can understand and see yes, and be able to interpret the divine and hear yes, the divine in what yes, is already, it's already in there. Yes, so the, the deconstruction has to happen with, with the individual or the groups. Absolutely. Not with hip hop. That's, 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 that's what theomusicology does. It, it says, it recognizes that God is present, not just in music that we've defined as sacred, but that God is also present in. There's also a search for God, a, a yearning for God in music that is not. Um, I'm probably, I know they're going to think I'm going to hell now, but Chance the Rapper's col coloring book album, man, I, and I've said this in the pulpit, is a gospel album. Mm. I don't, if you just listen to that album from start to finish, um, it's a gospel album. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. He is he is struggling with and talking about faith and life. Um, let me let me go here because you know make it a little pal more palpable. Even artists like Lecrae. Lecrae has dropped his quote unquote Christian hip hop moniker. Yep. He is a hip hop artist who is a Christian. Yep. He's not a Christian hip hop artist, um, and I think that distinction is important. Um, but to come back to exactly what you said, the work is not for hip hop to try to fit into the church. The work is for the church to understand what 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 questions about God are being asked over there. What 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 thought process about God? What's being said about God over there? I think the church has to first get off of its high horse and recognize that we don't own a monopoly on talking about God. We don't we don't have a monopoly mm -hmm. on on asking God questions. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be Kojic, Baptist, AME, uh, Presbyterian to, to ask God questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if anybody recognizes, but there's not a single Christian in the Old Testament. <laughs> or, the, or the Gospels. <laughs> or the Gospels. <laughs> um, man, you... you I want to go back to real quick before my last question. I Come wanna, on, man. I want to go back to that. The, 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 the veil, I'm going to use the word veil that mm -hmm. has been placed and you need the key. This this barrier. Yeah. Yeah. And so what Greco Roman Eurocentric yep. theology has done yep, is sown the veil that Jesus tore that was torn, oh, come on, Jesus sir. tore, the oh, veil on, that sir. was torn, they sewed it back up and put it back yes, in its sir. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And put a lock on it. And put a lock on it. <laughs> and then yes, stood, at the, stood at the door and said, but now you got to come through me. Yes, sir. Yes, That's, sir. It's called idolatry. Yes, sir. In, in the purest sense. In the purest in sense. The, <laughs> in the purest sense. Right. Man, so... This is the same thing uh, uh, in Acts 14. I think uh, uh, Dr. Laberton was preaching about this and talking about this in chapel where, where the people began to worship Paul as Paul was talking about Jesus, but not Jesus. And, and, and the church often allows that worship to come and build its practices on that as opposed to saying, hell no, don't know. We're not doing this. Let yeah. me show you who the real one is. Yeah. But you're right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah exactly what it is and and those beads you talk about i remember we had some <laughs> growing oh, up man. i had some my mama had some but as a kid 
I had fun running from one room to the other through those beads. You're about to preach. You're going to put your cash app up. <laughs> right I yes, used to sir. love running back and forth. Just I'd run, just, just hit the bees and then laugh, hear the sound yes, and sir. laugh, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then yes, sir. God talks about coming to the kingdom as little children. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so we should be able to freely run through these beads, these pseudo barriers. They're not barriers, but they're yeah. demarcations. But we should be able to freely run through these spaces and know that God is in these spaces. And they're biblical. And they're this, biblical. Is, this is the part. That, that what do we think is happening every time in the Old Testament, uh, Isaac talks about the God of his father, Abraham. And then Jacob talks about the God of my father is Abraham and Isaac. And then the, 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 the next patriarchs, excuse me, patriarchy, but then the next patriarchs, talk, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they, are, they, are not just, they are not just mentioning that God was back then. They know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were playing a part in history as it was unfolding in their lives. Mm. What do we think happens on the Mount of Transfiguration? Mm. What, what, what do we think happens when, 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 when we come before the throne and see the elders? What do we think is happening? Mm -hmm. We have so, uh, oh, I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying not to get kicked <laughs> off your podcast, bro. <laughs> you get kicked we, off. We have we have so Anglicanized. We have yep. so we have so yep. we have so whitewashed yep. our faith that that even the elements that that hearken to what is natural to us historically mm -hmm. we shun. Mm -hmm. And and it's really and the reason why we we talk we have to talk about this as a Black American problem is because as as Catholicism really becomes the the prominent religion. Uh, in South America and in Central America and in, and in the, the Bahamas or in the Indies or what have you, it's because what we're seeing is, is that Catholicism has much more room for ancestor veneration mm. uh, be, because, of, because of the saints. Yeah. But, but, but specific European Protestantism has no place for that. Yeah. And so we downplay the transfiguration. Mm -hmm. I, I dare say that the average black preacher does not know what to do with Jesus being on the mountain, not with ghosts, but with living ancestors. Yeah. 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 That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> and it is, it is. And it, you know, this is sidetrack and we can come back, but it puts the, that scene in, in black Panther in perspective. Sir, sir. That's what I kept thinking about. Sir. This is tra transfig yeah. uh, transfiguration right here. Yes, sir. But right? but we don't we don't know what to do with it. We I've never in my years in church, I've never heard a sermon in a church on the transfiguration that deals with the fact that that they were alive. Mm. That it wasn't it wasn't ghosts, wasn't an apparition. I've never heard a sermon deal with that. It's always just don't tell nobody. They always deal with what Jesus says to the disciples afterwards. Yeah. They never deal with Jesus in that moment, in that space, talking to dead men. <laughs> yeah, you just opened something I've up never for, heard for a lot of folks. <laughs> I've, ne I've never heard a sermon about it. Yeah. And that's good. That's good. I, I want that. I want there to be question marks when people listen to this and have to now wrestle with that. Yeah. Wrestle with that. Yeah. You know, because because we should. <laughs> yeah. 
last question, man. Yes, sir. Where where do we go from here? What, what does Ooh. the trajectory of hip hop look like to you? Um, what does the trajectory? Because I do see more and more people starting to deconstruct. Yeah, including my white brothers and sisters. I see more and more people willing to look at, this is what we've inherited. Now I got to look at this differently. What do I really believe? And I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Both in terms of parallel, hip hop, theology. Where where are we going? Where are we headed? What do you see as a a Um, pastor, professor, engaging students and congregants? What do you see? Man, I think we are right now in a dispensation in that um, hip hop is is the next iteration of black theology. It really is. And and what I mean by that is that in in my dissertation, I talk about the black theological enterprise, um, specifically here in America. And I talk about how first and second generation Africans who were kidnapped, sold, and brought here um, forcibly, forced into horrible, violent slavery, chattel slavery, that when they began to encounter white slave-holding Christianity, and this is what Douglas talks about, why her Black Christ is so important, that they begin to critically contextualize and say, the God that we know of would not devalue our Black skin. The God that we know of would not devalue us. And, and the God that we serve um, can see this as hypocritical. Um, and there's something wrong with this. And they begin to say that if we are going to be Christians, because a lot of people just assume that Christianity is, quote unquote, the white man's religion that slaves just picked up and ran happy-go-lucky with it. And, and that's not historical fact. Mm-hmm. That, that Blacks, Black Christians, first Black Christians in America, what they did was they said, what you preach and teach is wrong. And, what, and they then created a Christianity that they believe was more in tune with the God that they knew and the scriptures they were reading um, or that they were hearing. So that's what happens. And so they begin to say, our experience as, as stolen Africans in America matters if we're going to talk about God and think about God and sing about God. Fast forward to, to, to the 50s and 60s as concerned black cler- clergymen or Negro cler- clergymen at the time were talking about what does it mean for us to put together black theology? What is black theology? And then Cone begins to write the book, but, but there's meetings and groups of clergy before Cone writes the book. Um, Cone systematizes black liberation theology, but what he says is that he affirms that the black experience was a space for, for, was, was a proper context for doing theology, that we have to take the Bible seriously and the Black experience seriously. And for Cone, at his time, in his day, that Black experience was, was Black, male, cisgendered, heterosexual. That was what the Black experience was, right? Then, then his students, Katie Cannon and others, begin to challenge what the Black experience really means. And they begin to open that up to Black women, to Black LGBTQ bodies. And, and now scholars like myself, work that's been done by Dan White Hodge and Ralph Watkins and others, we have affirmed that, that the church, in the same way that the church initially left black women, 
out of the conversation of the black experience in the same way that then black gay bodies and black LGBT lives were left out of the conversation. Then we've also said, and, and the next thing that you've left out is hip hop culture mm. too. Cause, cause that's part of the black experience. Yeah. So what we are saying is we are, we are forcing the umbrella to be opened up wider and redefining the black experience. And I think that every generation, you, you, you specifically asked me where are we headed? Every generation is going to have to do the hard work of redefining the black experience. The black experience for my mama as, as, as a black girl born in Greenville, Mississippi, um, who, who, who picked, a cot, picked cotton a little bit as a, as a kid, her black experience is different from mine. Um, me being the first one in my family to, to get a master's degree, to get a doctoral degree. That my, my, my black experience is different. My kids now, as college is, is they're both in college right now, but college was, was a requirement. It wasn't high school. College, high school and college, that's a requirement. Mm-hmm. That's the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, their black experience, they're gonna have to then do the work of redefining what that black experience is. And I think specifically, as we've been talking about hip hop and, and theology, then the question becomes, how does that then inform what we think about God and how we talk about God? And I think that that's where we go from here, is that we we op- invite voices to the table. We're not asking you to baptize the voices. I'm not asking you to ordain the voices. I'm not asking you to put clergy collars on the voices. I'm asking us as the church, because as a pastor, as, as a Christian, I love the church. I'm asking the church to, to at least be able to sit down at the table with other voices that are part of the black experience just so that we can do our work better. Mm. Because if we don't, this is what we sound like. Imagine there's a woman outside being raped violently and she is cussing and screaming at her attacker. And we are sitting in Bible study and we go outside because we hear the screaming. And we lean over and tell the woman who's being violently beaten and raped, we're going to help you. But first, we're going to need you to stop all that cussing. As yeah. soon as you stop cussing, we're going to help you. Yeah. I think all of us know that morally that's wrong. But that's exactly what we've done with hip hop culture. Mm. We've denied them the ability to speak to us. We've denied them our resources. We've denied them our willingness to help our willingness to stand in solidarity with them while they are accurately describing the horrors, Mm -hmm. but because they do it in a way Mm -hmm. that doesn't fit into our, our box of sacred. Yeah. We've then, we've then denied their voice altogether. Wow. Yeah, man. That's mic drop right there. I want to, yes, sir. But don't drop mics. They cost too much. (laughs) (laughs) They cost too much. right now. I know, you know, I know. (laughs) Man, this is this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much for for your time, for taking the time to 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 share, to my engage, pleasure, to enlighten us at this intersection um, that not my many pleasure. people not many people park at this intersection of theology and hip hop. You're right. There's you not know. a lot of us doing this work. Yeah, and so I yeah. appreciate you. You know, I appreciate all that you're doing. The Pinnell Center at Fuller. We're trying, bro. Um, in my life helping me in my journey i appreciate you brother man right back at you man you know i appreciate you for the nudge for the nudge (laughs) god bless you man i'll talk to you soon Blessings. blessings blessings
You can follow Dr. Radcliffe on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Pastor Rad. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-R-A-D. And on Facebook at Dwight Radcliffe. Once again, I want to remind you to head over to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or FortressPress.com and order my book, Open Wounds. Again, it's sacred work as I engage the issues of racial tragedy and trauma, as well as resilience and redemption by sharing my story, my family's story, black people's story, and yes, America's story. You can follow me further at Phil Allen Jr. on Twitter and IG, as well as on Facebook. Once again, thank you for listening as we engage the issues of race, culture, and theology. And thank you for parking with me at the intersection. Thank you.